you have given us in your goodness to gather together around your word. We thank you that you're a God that speaks. And we pray, Father, that you give us ears to hear your word tonight and that you open up the eyes of our hearts and our minds to see Jesus, your divine Son, in all his majesty and supremacy and what that means for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I am one of over 11 million Australians to subscribe to Netflix. Put up your hand if you're a Netflix subscriber, if you use Netflix, many of you do as well. I think it's still the number one internet entertainment streaming service with over 160 million members worldwide. And there is a beauty and a burden when it comes to Netflix. And, and you may know this if you are a long-time user. One of the beauties of Netflix and similar streaming providers is that you can binge watch in a whole session or a few sessions close together your favourite TV shows from Suits to Stranger Things and anything in between. You don't have to wait like we used to wait in the old days for a week to pass before the next episode of your favourite TV show uh, would air. You can watch as many as you like in one go. It's beautiful. But there's also a burden when it comes to Netflix. You sit down on a Saturday evening, the kids are in bed, you're like, I'm going to flick on the TV, open up Netflix, and I'm going to choose, of my own free will, a, a movie to watch. And so you start scrolling through the library of Netflix. And you start scrolling. And you search, you scroll a little bit more, you change menus, you keep looking. And then soon enough, it's been an hour of scrolling and searching. You spent more time doing that than actually doing what you wanted to do, which was sit back, relax, and enjoy some TV viewing. A beauty and a burden. The burden can be paralysis by analysis, as some say. And we live in a world full of options. And not just in, the, in entertainment. If you go to your local supermarket, you will have an array of options put before you. Just go to the toothbrush aisle at Coles or Woolies and you'll see that we are an options generation. And we also have optional extras on many things. You buy a new car, you can have different options. On your health insurance, you can have options. On your mobile phones, on your food, you go to a porto. Would you like extra chilli on your burger? Absolutely I would. <laughs> options everywhere. And even when it comes to religion in Australia, you have a melting pot of options that you can dabble in when it comes to spiritual things as well. And I think when it comes to Christianity, particularly in Australia and Western culture in general, there is an options that has crept into our spiritual spirituality as Christians. According to the last census, 74% of Australians believe in God, but only 22% of Christians go to church regularly. That means that Christianity has become an optional extra for many people. Faith used to shape all of life. But for many people now, faith is an added extra to life. Convenient when you need it to make you feel better. But absolutely, it's not necessary. And you don't want to be one of those religious fanatics, do you? We see what they do. Maybe you've seen this optional extra spirituality started to creep into your friends 
Maybe it's even started to creep into your own relationship with God as well. But is that right? Is that a good thing? What place ought Jesus have in our Christian lives? These are the questions that I think Colossians 1, 15 to 23 answer for us today. And it's the second part in our Colossians Built to Last series. And what we read in verse 15 to 23 follows directly on from where Paul finished last week, where he prayed for the Colossians, or he told them what he was praying for them. Do you remember that? He basically prayed, Colossians, I want you to grow up in Christ and not give up on Christ. He wanted them to be fruitful Christians. And in verse 15 to 23 today, he gives them a solid foundation, a reason to stick with Jesus. And that is because he is absolutely and utterly supreme in everything. Let's have a look at it together. Verse 15, we see that Jesus is supreme in his person. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? Well, at one level, it means that Jesus is fully human because we know in Genesis chapter 1 that all humans are created in the image of God. We all have value and dignity and worth by virtue of being human, not by just what we can do for others. And Jesus, too, was fully human. But Jesus is also uniquely in the image of the invisible God because he, unlike other people, uniquely reveals and reflects the true nature of God. Because Jesus is not just fully man. He also shares fully in the divine nature. You might recall when Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples towards the end of his life, and some of his disciples said, Jesus... Just show us God, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus responded, guys, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Jesus is supreme in his person. He is fully man, but he is also fully God. He's the firstborn over all creation, which doesn't mean that Jesus was created first, like God created Jesus and then Jesus created everything else. That was the heresy of the Arians in the day. They'll be still believe that today. The word firstborn there is a biblical metaphor that means the heir of all things. Jesus, the firstborn of creation, means that he is the heir of creation. He is its rightful owner and all things are there for his purpose and glory. Jesus is supreme in his person. Is that your Jesus? Is that how you see Jesus? Secondly, we see Jesus is supreme in power. Let's have a look at the next verse, verse 16. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You know, Paul labours the point to make a point, and it should be obvious that Jesus created everything. All things, Paul says, were created by Jesus. Everything that you can see and everything that you can't see was made by Jesus. All physical matter and all spiritual reality 
was made by him. Just like a, a beautiful piece of art tells you something about the artist, so Paul says all creation doesn't just show you something about Jesus, it is for him. For him in the sense that it was created in, with a purpose for him, to reveal his ultimate supremacy and majesty and its ultimate destination, that all people will be bend the knee before him. Jesus is supreme in power. And on top of his creative power, did you notice verse 17? He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He holds everything together. He didn't just make things at the beginning, wind up the clock, and then go to sleep, sit back with his feet on the couch. No, he continues to sustain everything. The reason gravity is what it is today and the same as what it was yesterday and what it will be tomorrow is because Jesus makes it so. The reason the earth continues to spin on its axis is because Jesus makes it so. The reason your lungs are breathing and your heart is beating right now is because Jesus makes it so. He holds all things. He sustains everything. Jesus is supreme in power. Is that how you see Jesus? Is that your Jesus? Thirdly, we see Jesus is supreme in position. Verse 18, he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Not only is Jesus supreme in creation, he is supreme in the church. He's the head of the church. Now, what does the church mean? What is the church? Well, biblically speaking, the church is the gathering of people that have been spiritually raised to life from hearing and responding positively to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. In a great old hymn, The Church Has One Foundation, a lyric says, The church has one foundation, is Jesus Christ her Lord. The church, she is his new creation by water and the word. The church is the new creation of Jesus. He was there at the beginning and he's creating something new as people are raised to life as they hear his good news. He is the head of the church because he is both its beginning, like the, the head of a river, the source of a river, but he's also the head, he's also supreme in his position because he is the church's ultimate authority, final authority, like headmaster in a school, the one with all power and control. That is Jesus in the church. He is supreme in position. Not priest, not pastor, not building, and not even budget are the most important things in church. Jesus is. He is supreme in his person, his power, and his position. Is that how you see him? Is that your Jesus? And fourthly, we see Jesus is supreme in peace. Verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith, 
and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. It's the most lengthy of the things that Paul says that Jesus is supreme in because I think this shows the most supreme achievement of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has not just created the world, not just that he sustains the world, but that he is the saviour of the world. He is the only one who can restore, reconcile, grant peace between people and God. And in those extended verses, we see five things about the peace that Jesus brings. Firstly, we see that peace is necessary because ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, humanity has been alienated from God, according to the Apostle Paul. But not simply victims of somebody else's mistake. No, Paul says people are guilty and still guilty of sin. There is a hostility in mind that Paul says because of evil action. Peace is necessary because people need to have peace because they are out of friendship with God and that needs to be resolved. Secondly, we see that peace is an act of grace. It's an act of grace. Did you notice that Jesus is the subject of peace? In other words, he is the one that initiates peace with people. He takes the first step, not us. And so peace is always an act of grace. Thirdly, peace is a costly act of grace. Although it's free to us, all we need to do is to accept Jesus' offer. But for Jesus to make that offer meant that he had to go to the cross. It was by the blood of his cross, says Paul, or through his physical body of death that peace can be made. Yes, peace is free to us, but it came at great cost to the Lord Jesus. It's a costly act of grace. But fourthly, this peace is now universally available. Because Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things, when he died on the cross on our behalf, he died for all creation, for all people. And so there is a universal offer of peace to anybody who would bend the knee to Jesus. Even Paul talks about everything being reconciled to himself, that is Jesus. Now, of course, we know that not everybody will be reconciled to Jesus. Not everybody will experience the joy of eternal life with him. But we do know that one day when Jesus returns, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be a universal reconciliation in the sense that all people will acknowledge Jesus for who he really is in his supremacy one day. And until that day, there is a universal offer of peace to all people. But fifthly, this peace is conditional. Did you notice that at the end of verse 15 to 23? It's conditional on a person remaining grounded and steadfast in faith. That is, you need to stick with Jesus the whole way. You need to grow up in him and not give up on him. And the reason that is the case is because Jesus is the only one who can give you peace. And so if you're a Christian for 10, 20, 30 or 40 years, but in the 50th year you turn away from Jesus and look to something else or someone else, you've just turned away from the only one 
that can secure you peace for all eternity. There is nowhere else to go. He alone has the words of eternal life. This reason Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians to encourage them to grow up and not give up. Jesus is supreme in his person, his power, his position, and the peace that he alone can bring. Is that how you see Jesus? Is that your Jesus? In 1985, a book came out called Habits of the Heart. It was written by Robert Bella and Richard Madsen. And the authors were American and they were writing about the gradual shifts of American religion away from being corporate and public in many ways to being more inward and private. And to illustrate that change and the effects that it's had on Christianity in particular, they created a character in the book called Sheila. And this is what Sheila has to say about her faith. I believe in Jesus, but I'm not a religious fanatic. In fact, I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith, though, has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism. Just my own little voice. Just try to love yourself and be gentle with yourself. And, you know, I guess take care of others. I think Jesus will want us to take care of others. That was written in 1985. But in many ways, our culture hasn't moved from that. That is in many ways the optional extra of Christian faith that many Christians still have today. In fact, now, Sheilaism just has a more theological title. And you might like to write these down so you can remember it. Big words. Today it's called moralistic therapeutic deism. Deism, something to do with God. Moralistic, it's about doing good. Therapeutic, it's about feeling good. In many ways, that is the Christianity of Western culture. Yeah, God is there, Jesus is there, and he helps me to do good and feel good. And that's true, but it stops there. And can I say, Sheilaism, or moralistic therapeutic deism, is far from the Jesus and the Christianity of the Apostle Paul and that written for us in Colossians chapter 1. The Jesus in Colossians chapter 1 is not an optional extra, just to inspire you to do good and to give you a cuddle to make you feel good when you need it. He is absolutely and utterly supreme in his person, his power, his position, and the peace that he can bring. Paul says in, at the end of verse 18, so that Jesus might come to have first place in everything. That doesn't read like an optional extra to me. He's either first or he's not. And Paul says he has, he already has first place in everything. And so my big idea, summary of today's message is this. Jesus has first place in everything. Place him first in your priorities. First things first is the summary of today's message. Now maybe you're visiting church, you've been here the last few months and maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're just investigating what it might look like if you would put on the Christian hat and start following Jesus. If that's you, I'm really glad that you're here. But can I encourage you to make sure that the Jesus you're checking out is the real Jesus and not some 
watered-down, Western psychological Jesus. Make sure it's the real Jesus. Therapist Jesus is not the real Jesus. Therapist Jesus will give you a hug when you need it, but he won't save you. You need the real Jesus of Colossians chapter 1, the one who is absolutely and utterly supreme. And if you're still checking him out, can I assure you that if you give your life to him, he has already given his entire life to you. He has lived the perfect life that you couldn't. He's died the death that we all deserve. And he has risen again to offer eternal hope and joy to us all. In you giving your life to him, you are doing no less than what he has already done for you. You can be assured that he will love you and that he has what's best for you. Now, if you are a Christian, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, this is still true for you. Jesus has first place in everything, so continue to place him first in all your priorities, your family ties, your talking, your thinking, your treasure and your time. Continue to place Jesus first. When I order pizza, my favourite pizza order is to order the Supreme. Because when you don't know what toppings you want, just order the Supreme and you get it all. And particularly if you go to West Sydney Pizza at Minchinbury, there's no cash for comments, you'll get an amazing Supreme pizza. You get it all. Or do you? Those of you who are seasoned pizza eaters know that when you order a Supreme, it pretends to offer you everything, but it doesn't give you everything. There are still toppings that aren't on the Supreme pizza. And then you discover on the menu there is a super supreme. What could be better than supreme? Apparently super supreme. And you think, okay, I'm going to get that pizza and I'm going to get it all. But do you? You still don't get every topping on even the super supreme. And I think we can be like that pizza in relation to Jesus. We can sing like we sang in Never Alone. Christ is my life. He's my life. He has it all. But does he? Does he really have all of me? Does he really have all of you? When you get in the car and behind the wheel, is Jesus supreme over your anger and your patience? When you are surfing the internet, is Jesus supreme over the websites that you click on? When you are talking with people at work, talking to your husband or wife, talking to your children or children, talking to your parents, is Jesus supreme over your speech? When you watch things on Netflix, is Jesus supreme over your thinking? When you hold your credit card in your hand, is Jesus supreme over your treasure? And as you look at the people in the nations of the world, is Jesus supreme over your vision for our world? We say he has it all, but we're kidding ourselves, aren't we? He doesn't have it all. And it's why the Apostle Paul began his letter to the Colossians by saying that he's praying for them. Because just because they've started the Christian faith doesn't mean they're finished. They need to keep growing up in him and not giving up on him. And it's why we need to keep hearing this message. 
that Jesus has first place in everything. So we keep praying and pray for each other that we place him first in all our priorities. Jesus is supreme. He is not our cushion. He is our king. Is that your God? Is that how you see him? Because he is supreme. He is supreme over creation. It's why even Gentile Colossians of all people could be counted as saints in the inheritance of the light because the Lord of all creation and his gospel message have gone to them. It's why we too can be counted among the saints in the inheritance of the light because Jesus is supreme. So keep placing him first in all your priorities. He's not an optional extra. He's not a means to an end. He is the end, the beginning and the end. Let's pray. Father, we recognise that so often in our experience, Jesus has been an optional extra in our life. He hasn't been supreme over our driving, our computer use, our speech, so many other areas but we thank you that he is also supreme in peace that he has lived died and risen again and we pray father that you would help us place him first again starting tonight in all areas of our life we want to sing in all truth in christ alone my hope is found fullness of god in helpless faith From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled and striving cease. My comforter and my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I see. Father, we want that to be the song on our lips tonight and every day of our lives. So please empower us and strengthen us to keep growing in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Will you stand? We're going to sing in Christ alone.